Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. As mentioned, uh, this morning we looked at the idea of the Lord as our shepherd uh, through the miracle of the the feeding of the 5,000. And we were really zeroing in on how Jesus fulfills uh, that Old Testament expectation about one who would come like David and who would shepherd the people of Israel, one who would ultimately express the care of God and be the Lord's shepherd to them. And this evening we want to come back to that theme, but we are doing so through the lens of Isaiah the prophet. And in this uh, chapter of Isaiah, uh, the prophet has been really accenting a message of comfort uh, to those who are in need of it. You remember how we highlighted that the nation of Israel at this time was going through a period of humiliation. Uh, They had been defeated by the Assyrians and they would soon go into exile uh, on account of the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians would conquer their nation and take all their resources from them. And for the people of Israel, things would have seemed bleak. Uh, Things have gone from worse to worse. And any future seemed bleak at best. They have no nation. Uh, Where is their kingdom? What hope is there uh, for the days ahead? But it's in this context... Uh, of uh, recognizing what is coming to the people of Israel, that the prophet Isaiah is commissioned uh, to announce this message of comfort. It is a message of comfort because God still has a purpose for his people. And so a message is to be announced to them, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. But in this opening prologue of the book of Consolation, uh, in these opening 11 verses really, we have highlighted that there's a certain structure to that comfort because it highlights a voice. 
You remember in verse 3 that it says, A voice says, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. There is some statement, some speaker, that is calling attention to something that is going to happen. And there it is a message that the way, a highway for our God is to be prepared. There is something that is going to happen that is going to reveal the glory of the Lord. And that all is going, all people are going to see it together. You notice again in verse 6 that again this mention of a voice. That there is a statement about all flesh is grass and like the flower of the field. But the word of our God stands forever. And so there is this message of comfort that's coming because there is a, a preparation of a work that is going to take place. There is something that is going to reveal God's glory. There's a certainty to this because God's word is certain. It stands forever. Nothing will destabilize it. And so this voice uh, is mentioned both in verse 3 and then again in verse 6. But as we come to verse 9... Again, you'll see there's this mention of a voice Uh, uh, in verse 9. It says, get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. There's some debate here about who this voice is. Is this voice speaking about Jerusalem? Is Jerusalem the speaker? Or is the voice speaking to Jerusalem? Is it saying something to Zion? Is it saying something to the cities of Judah? And one can make arguments uh, uh, either way. But you notice that in one way you can see a fulfillment uh, in both senses. Because the speaker that comes announcing something to uh, Jerusalem uh, is something that we see realized in, in history. Because the, the message is one that comes first to the Jewish people. It is one that comes to the people of Israel. But then it is ultimately the the Jewish people, the the believers of God, that come to declare that message of comfort to others. That they become the messengers of comfort uh, to the nations. And so when you come to, for instance, the book of Acts, it tells us that they are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, but then also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as we're coming to this passage here, and it says, get you up to a high mountain, lift up your voice, you can look at that saying that this is something that is fulfilled by Jerusalem, even as it comes to Jerusalem. But all of that highlighting uh, the the structure of this comfort. But in verse 9, it says, get up to a high mountain. Uh, In the ancient world, if someone had a message of great importance, They're going to go up on a hill. They're going to ascend up on a hill in order to be able to address everyone. Uh, When I was younger, I remember in the wintertime, people would have uh, competitions on snow hills. And someone would climb to the top and then they would declare to all passerbys that they are the king of the mountain. And you knew that when you were up on the top of the mountain, everyone not only noticed you, but could hear you. You could now declare a message and you could call everyone's attention from the top. And that's the idea here, that those who have a message that needs to be heard would go up on a hill and they would then be able to address others with their voice carrying out. And so this is a message of great importance. It is a message that is to be declared widely. And what is the message? It is a message 
of good news. The message of good news then is not something that is only uh, talked about in the New Testament. It's, it's being spoken of even here uh, in the Old Testament. It is, it is a message of a comfort or a message that is good to hear. In the ancient world, we've talked about this before, but there would be on the battlefield someone that would be sent to bring a report of the outcome of the battle. And if their army was successful in defending their, their kingdom, if they were successful in defeating the enemy, they would come back reporting good news. And there would be a watchman on the tower waiting for someone to come and to announce the outcome of the battle. And if they came back speaking victory, it was a herald of good news. And here the message is to be declared widely from a hill, a message of good news. And what is the good news that is to be declared? Behold your God. The message of the Bible and the message of Christianity centers around God. And if we're going to understand the good news, it is a description, it is an announcement about God. It is an announcement of the coming of God and of his works. And here, this message of good news that is to be heralded to the cities of Judah, it is to be heralded by Jerusalem, it is a message about the living God, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, and his coming. And so this evening, we want to look about the coming of our God. Behold the Lord. And we want to look at uh, this, these verses in two thoughts. We want to think about the, the coming of God as the mighty one and the coming of the Lord as the shepherd. And so we see these, these two aspects being highlighted in these verses. First, uh, we see uh, the coming of our God as the one who comes in might. In verse 10, it says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. In the Old Testament, when God delivered his people from the land of Egypt, we're told that he did so in his might. He did it in his power and with an outstretched arm. What that was highlighting is, is that when God delivered his people, he did it in a way that was unparalleled to any other event. It was a work that was unique in demonstrating God's power over the nations and over all things. And so we're told in Exodus and in Deuteronomy that God did so with his arms stretched out, showing his power over Pharaoh, showing his power over the gods of Egypt. It was a demonstration of God's might. And that God, when he did that, it is synonymous with a miracle. In Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 4, it highlights that God's outstretched arm was a sign of his miracles and his wonders. God was doing something amazing when he delivered his people from the land of Egypt. But here, that same language that was used of an outstretched arm and of his might is being used to describe the coming of God uh, here in the future. It is to describe both God's judgment on his enemies, just as he brought judgment on Pharaoh, 
So God will come and bring his power, his judgment, even on his enemies and on our enemies. But he will also come to bring deliverance for his people. And so this language here is highlighting something of uh, the power of God to bring about his purposes. He will be successful in conquering his enemies. And then it says in verse 10, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Those words, reward and recompense, both of them are tied to the idea of work, that his work is before him. In other words, his labor will be successful because he will see the fruit of his efforts before him. And that ultimately God's power will be to bring his people before him. He will deliver them from their oppression. He will deliver them from their slavery. And he will bring them, his his fruits of his labor will be evident because he will have them before him. And so as we think about this message of comfort, the, the grounds or the source of finding that comfort is in knowing the God who is and looking to him if we are to know that comfort. And it comes by knowing something about the power of God, that he will cause uh, his might to prevail and he will succeed over his enemies. Let's step back and just think about that. When we think about the word faith, what are we talking about? Sometimes we might think of words like faith and we might think about it as the act of certain people or the act of certain personalities. They're, they're a, a person that seems to engage in faith or they're, they seem uh, inclined to being a, a faith person. I don't know if I'm that kind of a person that uh, puts much stock in faith. But the focus can sometimes be so bent in on ourselves that we are missing something about what faith is. Faith is an acknowledgement. It is an awareness. It is an embrace, an affirmation about who God is. It is an acknowledgement that God is the mighty one. It is an acknowledgement that God is all-powerful. It is an affirmation that God will be successful to do everything that he has said he would do. It is an awareness that nothing will conquer his efforts. And so sometimes that can just clear things up in our mind about when we're asking another question in ourselves, do I believe? Am I, am I a believer? How do I know if I'm a believer? Rather than becoming endlessly introspective and thinking, is my faith genuine or not? We're simply starting with the question, what do you believe about God? Do you believe that he is the Almighty One? Do you believe that he will be faithful to what he has said? Do you believe that he will be successful in all that he has purposed to do? And that can just clarify things for us when we can say, yes, I know what I know about God. I'm not so sure of my own faithfulness. I'm not so confident in my own strength, but I do know something about God. I know that he is all-powerful, and I know that all that he says he will do. That's the ingredients of faith. It is an awareness of the God who is. And that's why there is good news. Because here this herald of good news from the hilltop is saying, behold your God. Why is that good news? Because I know that the Almighty is going to do what he has said. 
that he will conquer his foes and that he goes out with his arm ruling for him. Nothing will defeat his purposes. And that's why people can rejoice. Because God's will will prevail. But there's a second aspect to this description of the coming of our God. The good news, behold our God. Behold the Lord comes. We are told not only that he comes with might, but in verse 11 we are told that he comes as a shepherd. Those might sound like polar opposites. We think of one coming with might as like a conqueror. We think of a warrior, someone that is coming to battle. But then there's this image of a shepherd, one that is tender and caring. But as Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh preacher from the last century, points out, if there's any seeming tension between them, it's only on the surface. They're really two sides describing the same person in the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus is both the conqueror and the shepherd. And that it is dangerous for us to neglect either aspect of that description of our God and Savior. That he is almighty. And it's only because he is almighty that he can be tender. His might is essential for his tenderness. And so it is a description that is not uh, contradictory, but it is highlighting something of how it is that this almighty God can be tender with sinners. It is because he is able to conquer sin, death, and Satan that he can be tender uh, with uh, sinners themselves. And so he comes as a shepherd as well. And we're told something of what it means that he will come as a shepherd. And we are told at least three things that we can point out in these verses here. First, he will come as a shepherd in terms of identifying with his flock. You see that there in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd? Central to that whole idea is the identifying with one sheep. That you identify with and belong to the sheep and the sheep belong to the shepherd it says there that he will tend his flock like a shepherd they are his people and so the lord will care for their needs the heart of a shepherd then is to shoulder the needs of his sheep uh, on oneself even to the point of risking their own life you remember when we've been going through first samuel you remember when david came before king saul and he was uh, appealing to Saul to let him to go and fight Goliath. But do you remember one of the things that he reasoned with Saul about? He said that he was a shepherd and that on more than one occasion he had to defend his sheep, whether it was because of a lion or whether it was because of a bear. He said that he would risk his own life in order to snatch that lamb out of the mouth of the lion or out of the, the grasp of the bear. He put his own life in danger in order to protect his sheep. And that's what makes a shepherd a shepherd. That they're willing to risk their life because they so identify with their sheep. They are his sheep. If it is a shepherdess, it is her sheep. That's what Jesus was saying is the difference between a hired hand and a shepherd. That the shepherd is the one who identifies with and protects his sheep at all costs. 
And here, the description is applied uh, as well, that he will tend his flock as a shepherd because they are his sheep. That's what a shepherd does. He shepherds the flock. And so uh, uh, that's something that Jesus himself stressed during his ministry. Jesus said that he knew his sheep. But you remember something else Jesus stressed. He was emphatic that not all belonged to him. That there were some that were not his sheep. Jesus even was uh, very blatant when he said, you, are, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. You are not part of my sheep. And so Jesus is saying that the, really the real question is, how do I know whether I am part of his flock? How do I know whether I am belonging to the shepherd himself? And Jesus answers that question. Jesus says that his sheep, they will know that they are his sheep because they will hear his voice. Maybe you've been on YouTube at some point and you've seen one of those videos where someone is visiting a sheep farm or uh, some tourist is going to a sheep farm and a shepherd will give them an opportunity to, to call out to all the sheep in the field. And the tourist or the visitor will call out the saying, trying to summon all the sheep, and the sheep don't even respond. And then the shepherd will be standing beside the visitor and then will say the same thing. And then you see this collective response of the sheep coming in from the field towards the shepherd. Why? Because they know his voice. And they respond because they belong to him. Because they trust him. And the shepherd calls them because he identifies with them. How does one know whether one belongs to the Lord Jesus? How does one know whether they are part of his flock, whether they belong to this shepherd? They know whether they belong to the shepherd because they will hear his voice and they believe in him. Jesus himself said, I will give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And what makes a sheep a sheep is one who believes those words to be true because they know who it is that said them because they know that Jesus is God in the flesh. They know that he has all authority, and they know that no one can snatch them out of his hand. It's because they know who said those words, and they believe them to be true, that makes them sheep of his flock. So Jesus says a sheep that belongs to him is one who hears his voice, one who believes in his words because they know who he is, and they trust in him for eternal life. But Jesus also accents that they know uh, they are part of his flock because they will follow him. Jesus characterizes his flock as those who, having heard his voice, are willing to follow him because they, they, they trust him and they will go where he leads them to go. And so the question then for us is, are we part of his flock? Do we, do we belong to the Lord Jesus? Do we recognize that we need God to come and to fix things? That we are people who have sinned. We have perverted God's ways. And as Isaiah says elsewhere, we are people who have added sin to sin. Have we recognized that that's actually our problem? But more than that, have we come to recognize that God's care has been shown in and through the Lord Jesus Christ? So, the good news is about God. Behold, your God. Your God comes. Why is that good? 
because he comes in power. He comes to accomplish his purpose. He's already explained what the purpose is. It is to pardon iniquity. It is to bring an end to their warfare. That he will do this. But he will show grace and mercy towards his sheep. He will care for them like a shepherd does with his own flock. And so the question is, is do we belong to him by faith? If we trust in the Lord Jesus, then we are part of his flock. And we will know the protection and the leading and the care of the good shepherd. But then secondly, we see how he comes like a shepherd. Because not only does he tend his flock by identifying with them, but he acts as the good shepherd because he loves them. Notice there, it goes on to say that he will carry them in his bosom. That he, he, he cherishes them as a shepherd cherishes a nursing lamb. That he, he is intimate with them, that he carries them in love. And in the same way, here the good shepherd is one who cares for the needs of his sheep. Uh, that he provides for them according to their needs. As mentioned, we are people who have perverted God's ways, and yet the good shepherd comes to provide for all our needs. It says in Romans, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The eternal son of God laid down his life in order to prevent God's judgment from falling on the sheep. Jesus laid down his life because he loved his flock. That's what Zechariah says in his prophecy. Awake, O sword, awake against the shepherd. Strike the man at my right hand. The shepherd will be struck with the judgment of God, but it is the outworking of the love of God to save his sheep. And so here, as it says that he will come like a shepherd, it's highlighting that he identifies with our needs, that he tends, he he uh, identifies with us and he belongs with us and we belong to him by faith. But we see his love for us in that he laid down his life in order to spare us of the penalty and the judgment of God. Jesus himself makes that point. I lay down my life for the sheep. It demonstrates how he holds close uh, his people in his heart. He is the good shepherd because of the extent he would go to save his flock. So he, he identifies with his flock. He tends to them. He is one who loves his flock, carrying them in his bosom. But he is also one who shows his understanding of his flock as well. It says, and he will gently lead those that are with young. The same arm that rules for him is the same arm that carries those that are with young. That he is able to show his tenderness in gathering his lambs. Do you remember the event in the Old Testament about the reunion of two brothers? Jacob and Esau had been estranged for years. And when they came together again, you remember that Esau made the recommendation that they travel back together. And Jacob, in his reply, uh, makes the argument saying, there's no need of that. Jacob, in his reply to Esau, says, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herds are a care to me. If they drive hard for one day, all the flocks will die. What was Jacob arguing there? He was trying to say that, I know my sheep, and we cannot march along at the rate that you're going to be marching along. 
that we have to go slower. I know their capacities. I know their limitations. And I'm going to de deal with them or treat them according to those capacities. And so here, what is being accented is we see something of the understanding of the Lord in dealing with his sheep. That he is one who deals with us according to our weakness and according to our capacity. We see the gentleness of Christ himself, who said, Come unto me, all who, are la uh, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That Jesus deals with us gently and compassionately. Do you see why this is a message that is to be heralded from the hilltop? It's to be heralded because it's a message that all people need to hear. Because we have all perverted God's, God's ways. Because we all stand in need of God's salvation. This is a message that must go out to the ends of the earth. And it is a message about what God has done. God has come in and through his son. God has come in might to deliver us from the power of sin. God has come to show the care of God in the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a message that all people are to believe. But there's another reason why we can say that this message is to be heralded from the hilltop. Not only do other people need to hear it, but as one commentator points out, we need to express it. We who believe. That as Paul writes, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, very quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says at the end of that chapter, in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. What Paul does, I do, do it all for the sake of the gospel, in order that I might share, I might partake in its blessings. There's a benefit in even making it known to others. Because then I too share in that benefit. I too am enriched as a result. And that's something that even C.S. Lewis makes a very interesting observation about. C.S. Lewis says that we love and spontaneously like to praise whatever we value. That we just give expression to the, the goodness of something. And C.S. Lewis makes this observation. He says, I think we delight to praise in what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. We give praise to what we value not just because it expresses what we value but it brings it to its consummation. This is what it's for, that we would delight in it ourselves that we ourselves would enjoy and be satisfied in it. And so here, this message that is to be heralded to the cities of Judah is to be heralded by Jerusalem to the world. Your God comes. Our God has come in Jesus Christ. He has come with might, and he has come as the good shepherd. If we are belonging to him, then his salvation is for us and for all who call on him.